Hello and welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. I will be your host, James Fox, also alongside us. Today's special guest, Luke Hallett of the Winston-Salem Dash. Follow him on Twitter at Luke underscore Hallett. He is the play-by-play broadcaster for the Winston-Salem Dash as well as the media correspondent for the Advanced A affiliate of the Chicago White Sox. Luke, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Really looking forward to this conversation because uh, we, we were planning on you know trying to talk to as many affiliated broadcasters as we could. And this has been a very unique situation for minor league broadcasters such as yourself and employees in general. Coming back after a missed season in 2020, 2021 comes along, the season was delayed a month, but the Winston-Salem Dash hosted opening week. So I'm curious how all of that went down. There's a lot of players in the Advance A affiliate of the White Sox that we want to cover that you've seen already firsthand. But first things first, Luke, what was the process for you in terms of getting the job at Winston-Salem and where did you come from uh, in your roots? Yeah, thank you guys for having me, first and foremost. I really appreciate you uh, you guys having me on. Um, I guess going back to the roots, I uh, graduated from Indiana University and then moved to North Carolina shortly after that, um, doing studio hosting and a lot of the uh, broadcast hosting and studio hosting for Learfield IMG College. And then caught on with High Point University, doing their women's basketball games, some of their men's basketball games, baseball games, stuff like that as well. And then last year, uh, when Joe Weil left the Winston-Salem Dash, Connor Klingon took over as the number one broadcaster. And I was supposed to be brought into the fold as number two, but we all know what happened in 2020. Um, so that ultimately didn't pan out. But then Connor did not rejoin the Dash in this season, and I stepped into the number one role. So it's been, it's been a whirl at times. I mean, as you said, um, opening week and all that type of thing, it's been crazy. But uh, it's been a lot of fun. And happy to get on board and it's uh it's been a world but one week in the books and it's been a lot of fun yeah winston-salem pretty pretty entertaining performances across the board i mean the record we're not necessarily too worried about that just the individual performances really that we can evaluate but before we get into that into more detail i'm just curious how it was for you and as well as the team and and uh, the front office getting back into the swing of things prepping for the season and what these protocols are like is it challenging working through the protocols how is it with fans in the ballpark and uh, how how is the team really dealing with uh, the abnormalities of the season here in 2021 well it depends on each side i mean from a fan perspective i think it's very manageable um you just really have to wear masks you have a pod seating essentially so you're going to be not really surrounded by anybody that you didn't come with that you probably don't live with truest stadium right now is at 48 percent exactly capacity they can fit 2811 fans so it's still a pretty good number i mean it seats a little over 5,000 fans more or less um, so they're at a pretty good number there when it comes to doing my job and trying to be able to talk to these players and managers and stuff like that it's it's been really difficult actually um with the COVID protocols and such, myself and really most members of the front office and other members of the team can't go into the clubhouse at all due to COVID restrictions from MLB. So if I want to talk to Dash manager Ryan Newman, I got to text him. I got to call him on the phone. I've set up Zoom press conferences for local media members to talk to him. And so those are really the only opportunities that I've been able to have to talk to him. I haven't been able to have a face-to-face conversation with him because the MLB won't allow that because of the COVID restrictions. And that makes sense because you want to make sure these people are protected, these players are protected. But it's been difficult. I mean, we got to run stat packs down to them. And what we have to do is we have to go to the designated clubhouse manager 
who's already been cleared uh, by MILB and MLB. They take regular COVID testings, things like that. And then we say, hey, hand these over to the coaching staff and, you know, give them to you when you can. And so far, I mean, they've been extremely helpful. They've helped us out in a big way, but it's, it's still difficult. You know, you don't get that face-to-face contact. You don't get to build that relationship with the coaching staff and the players. And, you know, hopefully when things start to open up, that'll change. But it's been a difficult challenge and it's a hurdle we've had to get over. But so far, so good. You know, one of the things that we've been talking about on the podcast and just overall was just like how weird this season was just, you know, just because of like some of the advanced assignments. So I don't know if you, you know, if you were aware, you know, before the White Sox had an affiliate at Great Falls, which was like an advanced rookie league level type. And and they cut that affiliate, you know, that was part of the minor league restructuring. So, you know, there are some players in Winston-Salem, you know, and you kind of saw the list of names and you're like, ooh, that like seems like an aggressive assignment. Um, but, you know, it kind of just comes with the territory this year, I feel like. So do you have uh, any early takeaways from the first series of calling games on there? I know it didn't go great um, record-wise, but there are some prospects down there to follow, and it's obviously a small sample size. But um, what caught your eye in the first series? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the first thing, at least hitting-wise, that stood out to me is that the Dash can really string together a lot of hits. They got guys who can get on base relatively well. So far, they have really struggled to drive in men when they're in scoring position and just the sheer number of men left on base. They've had at least eight ga- eight players left on base in every single game so far. And I believe every single game prior to yesterday's game, which they won an extra innings, they had eight or more hits. So, I mean, they've they've had no problem racking up hits. I mean, on opening day, they had, I think it was 11 hits. They lost 11 to five anyway because they left 11 men on base. So, I mean, they... They're struggling right now to kind of drive in runs, but the offense, I think, is going to start to turn around as soon as that becomes a little bit polished out um, because hitting 191 with runners in scoring position is is, is a, a quick way to lose a couple of games. But I think if they can bump that total up a little bit more, they'll start to be a lot better. And as for the, the pitching side, Johan Dominguez really impressed me. Um, he came out and spawned five shutout innings, one hit, and it was a really fluke hit. It was just really sunny at Truist Stadium, and it was deep to left center field and Duke Ellis, and I think it was uh, Mieses were, were going for the ball, and neither one of them could see it, and they just lost it, and it went in for a double. So, I mean, he was almost perfect in five innings, carving up people. So if they can get consistent starting pitching, I think they got a real shot to turn that record around. What did you see out of Johan Dominguez? And uh, Stuff-wise, did you get a feel for his velocity and his breaking stuff at all? He was going really fastball heavy. I mean, he was hitting, I think, 94, 95, uh, but he was really peppering the zone with fastballs most of the time. He worked in a couple off-speed pitches second time through the lineup. I think he went five innings, so, you know, I think he might have seen a couple of batters a third time. But that first time through the lineup, I remember Andrew Murphy, who's the other broadcaster, and I were talking about it off the air. We were just saying he's just challenging them with fastballs, and they just can't catch up to it. Like, he was just throwing them, and they were just swinging and missing, or they couldn't connect with it at all. Um, so he was really impressing with his fastball. And I think eventually once people started to realize he was going to throw that a lot, he started to work in the off speed a lot more. But he was, without a doubt, the best dash starter in that first uh, five, six game stretch. So stay, I guess staying there for now, like in starting pitching, Jason Billis is another guy. He was, you know, I think a 14th rounder a few years back out of Coastal Carolina, but he was one of these guys. He was like an over slot type guy. Yeah. Um. So, you know, he came with significant upside. He was a, you know, I think one of the best um, like high school pitchers in, in the state of Delaware history. Yeah. And then he went on to school. Um, you know, I feel like a lot of people think that Jason 
is going to move through the system quickly, like if he ever converts into a relief role. But, you know, he's still starting, and it seems like he pitched pretty well the other day. Yeah, he did. And the wheel started to come off a little bit in the fifth inning. He went four and two-thirds, struck out eight, which was tied for his second most in his career. So he pitched pretty well. And that was, I believe, on the back end of Dominguez starting. So it was pretty two pretty encouraging uh, starts for the dash. But yeah, Billis looked good. I mean, those first couple of innings, he went through, and I think he sat down the first seven hitters he saw. Um, and I think once that second, third time around in the lineup came through, guys started to get to him a little bit more. And I think the big thing for him is just making sure that his control is there because in most of his starts in prior years, anytime he would take a loss, I think he was 6-10 and 10 back in 2019, he would just, whenever he'd walk a lot of batters, he would get himself into trouble because in, in 10 of those losses, 10 total losses, I think it was something like seven or eight, he would give up three hits or less. So, I mean, like he was not giving up very many base hits, but the control really wasn't there for him. And so once the control started to wane a little bit, um, I think he started to have a couple more problems. So maybe if he's in that relief role, you know, he pitches to less hitters, he goes two innings at a time, maybe it becomes a little different then. But I think he could be a starter too at the same time. I mean, if he is able to harness that control, work the fastball, work his off-speed pitches, I think he's very capable and able to do that. Yeah, so, you know, two more guys on the pitching side. We ranked in our top 30 list, we ranked Caleb Freeman for the first time this year. You know, we had good reports um, just during the shutdown last year and after fall instructs. And when Nick Hostetler was the scouting director, you know, he had a lot of good things to say about Caleb Freeman, kind of said that, you know, his stuff really played up in relief in the Cape Cod League, um, whereas he struggled as a starter a little bit at Texas Tech, and the Sox got him really late in the draft. So, you know, I saw he has three innings, I believe, in the first series. So how did Caleb Freeman look to you? And then also one other guy, um, Isaiah Carranza, you know, was taken out of Azusa Pacific. We, you know, we covered, and then he had Tommy John right away, and he really hasn't pitched. So, him too. Did he? Did he throw in relief, or did he start a game? Uh, Carranza was a starter, and he's supposed to start in the next upcoming series at Hickory as well. Um, but he started for the first time. Jeez, it was over a thousand days. It was almost three years to the date of his last start as at Azusa Pacific. And yeah, I mean, he looked pretty good too. He went out and through the first couple of innings, pitched pretty well. I think he only went. I think three innings in total because they were limiting him just from the standpoint of having been so long since he had last thrown. Um, but he looked good as a starter, and it wouldn't surprise me to see him be uh, a starter long term. I mean, if they decide to move him to the bullpen for some, you know, long relief, anything like that, I think that's something that's feasible also. But he had uh, ten strikeout games. He had four ten strikeout games at Azusa Pacific before he had Tommy John. So he's a very capable starter, and he kept hitters off balance. I think he hit as high as ninety six miles an hour on one pitch, but he was sitting more. 92, 93, 94. Um, so he definitely impressed. And, you know, I think he'll be, at least for the, the short term, a starter for this Dash team. I mean, who knows how long they'll they'll do that. They may want to limit his innings. So we'll see with that. Um, Caleb Freeman, I think, was definitely one of the better relievers on this Dash team. The one mistake he did make was a home run that tied the game yesterday against Rome on uh, on Sunday now. And, you know, it was a mistake. He just hung it over the plate. And then he got the next three guys, set them down right in order. Um, but he's definitely impressed. And I think Ryan Newman already looks at him and says, hey, we can count on him in a, as a high leverage reliever, someone who can we can put in in these important situations, you know, the, the home run notwithstanding. I think he's going to be someone who's really counted on, whether it's in Winston-Salem for a little while, if he goes up to Birmingham at some point, as someone who's going to be a high impact reliever and can make a big difference in that pen. You mentioned Ryan Newman a couple of times there and how difficult really it is just in terms of convenience and speaking with him. 
when you do talk to Newman, the manager of Winston-Salem, are there anything that stands out about him that you believe is beneficial to translate to other players at this level? Maybe he has a certain way about him that can connect to players or anything that you've picked up on after working with him for a short amount of time? Yeah, he seems like a really easygoing guy. I mean, every conversation I've had with him has been really pleasant. He's a consummate professional. I remember the press conference that I set up for him with some of the local media members. I can't remember who it was. The first media members like, so coach, how's this going? You know, this, this, and this. And Ryan's like, no, 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 don't call me coach. He's like, call me Ryan. So he likes to be called Ryan. You know, it's that type of thing. Um, Super easygoing. All the players really respect him. Um, He's able to connect to all of them with his easygoing personality. Um, He knows the X's and O's really well. When to use certain relievers, when to put guys in certain situations, stuff like that. I mean, Opening day, Harvin Mendoza got taken out of the game in the eighth inning. It was a close game at the time, and he put in Lazaro Leal. Leal came in, roped a double, uh, you know, put the dash right back in the ball game with a hit like that. So he's he's really adept at making those substitutions X and O's wise. And I think yeah, he's just he's a great manager for this dash team. Was there anything in his media sessions that stood out to you in terms of just talking about the roster? Anybody that stood out to him that you kind of picked up on? Anything that can kind of tell the story of what the Dash have and some of this young talent. He was really impressed in those media sessions with Yolbert Sanchez. And I know that he's a prospect the White Sox are definitely going to be looking at. And I have to echo the sentiments of Ryan Newman. Yolbert Sanchez has been tremendous. Defensively, he's been a vacuum. He's moved over from short and second base. He's been playing both positions. I think he had his best defensive game yesterday on Sunday because every single ball that was hit over to him at second, he was just gobbling up, throwing to first. He had a really nice backhanded pick through over to first. I mean, he has been rock solid defensively. And offensively, he hasn't really flashed much power, but he's been getting on base at a high clip. Uh, I know going into yesterday's game on Sunday, he had reached base in, in every single game he had played in with the exception of one. So, I mean, he's definitely getting on base at a pretty high percentage and figures to be a, a top-of-the-order bat for this Dash team. I'm excited that you brought up Gilbert Sanchez, a player that we are obviously keeping an eye on. First time really watching him play stateside. In his first full professional season with the Chicago White Sox organization, starting in Winston-Salem, do you believe he's at the right level at this point of his career, 24 years old? Like I said, first time really seeing professional pitching stateside. Uh, And just describe his flow, if you can, on the field. And describe to our listeners what the White Sox have in Yolbert Sanchez. Yeah, I think for right now, he's at the the proper level, the correct level. Now, that being said, it wouldn't surprise me at all if midseason or somewhere down the line this season, he gets called up to Birmingham because I think his glove is certainly ready for Birmingham. And I think it could be ready for even more at this point. He's just so sound defensively with his mechanics and he makes these routine plays. I mean, those are easy for him, but he makes these difficult plays look really easy. I mean, that backhanded pick yesterday was a tough play. He's got great range. I think it really will translate to Birmingham, and at some point I would think Charlotte as well, Sanchez. Um, And I think the flow of the game is he he really looks loose out there. I mean, him and and Sosa a lot of times will be the middle infielders for the dash. It seems like they're just loose. I mean, that play for Sanchez yesterday when he made it, he just had a little body bump with Sosa. They were going back and forth for a while. So it's just it seems like he's out there having fun. And, I mean, he's swinging the bat well. He lets the pitches come to him. He's walked a handful of times already. And so I think once he grows into that power, he's going to be a really impressive infielder for the White Sox. Luke, I think the highest ranked player that we have at Future Sox with the dash is is Bryce Bush. And he, you know, after being a 33rd round high school pick, he, you know, he 
basically lit the Arizona League on fire a couple of years back. And then the last year they played baseball, 2019, struggled in Kannapolis, had a lot of injuries, had some issues like with his eyes. And then this year, he, you know, he got the promotion to high A. And it is a it is a little bit of an aggressive promotion. It seems like he struggled a little bit in the first series. What have you seen uh, from Bryce Bush with the dash? And where where is he playing primarily, too? I was curious. Well, he actually has not played in the field yet. He's only DH'd. Um, the only time we've seen him play at all in the field is when they've been doing practice and doing batting practice and things like that, and he's shagging fly balls. Um, so we have not seen him in the field yet. He's only uh, swung with the lumber so far, but he's really trying to tap into that power, and he's done some of that already. I think the fact that he's able to show some advanced power at this stage in the game is really good. Um, now, I think there does leave a little bit to be desired with his approach at the plate. Um, I think sometimes he could let things come to him, but I think that'll definitely happen down the road. I mean, as soon as he starts to put a barrel to the bat or the ball a little bit more, I think he's going to start to see hits drop a little bit and he's going to, I think, increase the batting average and such. So I think he's still getting used to everything at the high level at this stage in the game, but I think it's certainly possible that uh, he'll continue to rack up good, solid numbers because, I mean, he's got the tools, he's got the work ethic, he's out there taking batting practice, you know, shagging those fly balls, stuff like that. So he's a hard worker. He's going to go out there and, and really leave it on the baseball diamond every day. And I think he's a heck of a player. So there's, you know, there's another guy that has seemingly been in the White Sox farm system forever, it seems like, in Luis Curbelo. And, you know, he was a prep pick years ago. He struggled in rookie ball. I think he struggled briefly, you know, in Kannapolis, and he was sent back to rookie ball. He's always had big power. You know, it seems like he's hitting 313. He's got a, you know, a slug. He's slugging like 800 right now with two yeah. homers. So how is uh, how has he looked to you in the first series? Curbelo's looked pretty good defensively, and he's looked very good offensively. Now, most of the time when he's out there, he did DH, I think, once or twice uh, during the last six-game set against Rome. But defensively, he looked pretty good at third. Him and Johan Cruz, I think we're switching off on an everyday basis, essentially. Um, but offensively, I mean, he looked really strong. I mean, he was driving pitches. Even his outs were pre hit pretty hard. Um, we get a lot of the this, the track man reports sent to our phones from the uh, the other press box. And he had a handful of balls that were over 100 miles an hour. So, I mean, he was really hitting the ball hard. And I think what's interesting with uh, with Curbelo is that a lot of the the uh, the players who are international signees, you know, it happens a lot in the major leagues. A lot of them don't speak English. But Curbelo is kind of the guy who, you know, can translate with the front office staff, with Ryan Newman, with some of these other guys. And he kind of acts as the team leader for, you know, that section of the team. And so I think he's really valued in that sense, and he's really able to bring the team together with that sense of camaraderie. So he's been really impressive on the diamond, but I think he brings a whole different element to this Dash team uh, in the clubhouse. Some player that we would like to bring up specifically here on top of the rest is Tyler Osick. Tyler Osick, a 24-year-old, drafted in the 27th round uh, two years ago, 2019, and he's coming from a position at first base where in the system, you know, you could say that it's it's pretty loaded. Yeah. It, when you look at his profile, it seems like the best pathway for him to continue to excel in the White Sox system is to add another position to his repertoire. And now he's playing a little bit of catcher. Do you know anything about Tyler Osick's story and how he's looked with Winston? I know he's very limited in terms of plate appearances 
and uh, time behind the plate at this point, but just anything that you can provide on Osik's journey now that he's with Winston. Yeah, Osik's one of those guys who played a couple of different positions at UCF, and I remember reading an article from the White Sox saying this is one of the reasons why they wanted to draft him. He played first base, catcher. I think he might have played a little bit of third also, but those were the predominant two positions he played at UCF. Um, But he started the game on Sunday against Rome, and he looked pretty good behind the dish. I mean, it was clear that he was still trying to pick up everything um, from the the pitching staff he was working with. I mean, he got there basically the crack of dawn on the 8th. So, I mean, he didn't have much time to prepare. But he looked pretty good there moving with everything. He still had to work on the signs, but that's something that gets just gets ironed out over time. Um, and I remember, I think it might have been in that same article from Osik saying he really shut off his phone in that MLB draft because he felt like where he was taken uh, was a slide compared to where he thought he was going to go. He said he thought all these players were getting taken before him. They thought he was better than, and he didn't think he was going to get signed. But then the White Sox drafted him, and now they got this quandary, like you said. I mean, they got so many guys that can play first throughout the the organization. I mean, not just at the pro level, but throughout the minors. So I think probably his best chance at continuing to move through the system will be behind the dish. But I think that that position versatility is going to be key because who knows, maybe he can start hitting the baseball really well and he finds himself in the lineup as a DH or he can play first base in a pinch. Um, and I think that's going to be really valuable and one of the reasons why the White Sox really like him. My last player-related question for you, and obviously thanks for doing this today. We really appreciate it, is, you know, Luis Mieses. He was part of the 2016 international class that landed Luis Robert. You know, we, you know we've always heard about the projectability and the swing, and he's a long, lanky outfielder. But, you know, he's never really had results at any level he's been to. Um, and I would lump him into, you know, a guy where I would think this is a pretty aggressive assignment for him. So obviously it's only been what, six, five, six games. Um, how do you think he's looked so far? And does this look, does it look like he belongs at this level? You know, you've seen the dash and one other team now so far. Yeah, I think he belongs at this level, at least right now. I think there are moments that you alluded to where he goes up there at the plate and he strikes out on three pitches and they're all swinging. So I think, you know, with time, that'll be something that gets a little bit better. But I think he definitely has the raw tools. He's blasted a home run already, and it was a deep shot. I mean, it was it's that moment where you realize that, like, okay, these become a consistent thing. He's going to move up through the ranks. So it's plays like that that make you think, okay, yeah, he can definitely do this at the high level and maybe even further in the semi-near future. But, I mean, there's also plays where you strike out on three pitches or you stumble in the outfield, which he did once, you know, committing an error the guy got from first to third. Um, and you know, those are plays that you you try to avoid having happen. So I think that he definitely belongs at high A. I think there's going to be a lot of room for improvement. And I think he's going to continue to get better as the season goes along, because again, he's another one of those guys who's taking batting practice, who's working hard, going over all that type of stuff. Um, so I think the work ethic is going to carry him far. And I think it's only a matter of time before it starts to really come together for him. Well, Luke Hallett, Winston-Salem Dash, a play-by-play broadcaster, joining us here on the Future Sox podcast. Luke, before we let you go, the Dash are about to embark on a road trip. What's the travel restrictions like? Are there any? Are you going to be with the team? How does all that work? You know, it's kind of difficult. Um, right now, we're still ironing out everything. Um, I will not be going, at least for now, on a handful of road trips. Hickory will be one in the future that we hope to be going on because it's so close in the state of North Carolina, about 70-minute drive or so, compared to going to Brooklyn or Bowling Green, which are much longer trips. 
But right now, I can't really go on the road with the team much because of COVID restrictions, because not really allowed on the bus, um, hotel rooms, that type of thing. So as things start to open up, that might change. For games like Greensboro when they play them, Asheville in the future, um, it's looking a lot more likely that you know I'll just be able to drive myself to those games and then just call them either from the booth or wherever they're able to set me up um, just as things start to open up more and more. And that's actually something that's kind of consistent throughout the high A league in general. Um, there was no broadcaster here from Rome during the last series with the Braves and the Dash. Um, you know, there there won't be one, obviously, when I don't go to Hickory. And so it's something that's kind of been consistent throughout the level that a lot of these organizations and MILB, they want to play it safe. And you totally understand that. It's unfortunate because we'd like to be at every single game calling every single pitch, but, you know, just kind of how it is right now. Yeah, if that's what you have to do to be able to ensure that a full minor league season gets in, I'll I'll, I'll take that. That's yeah. right. That's right. We got to get games. Hey, Luke, have you talked to anybody there that has noticed any, I guess, like noticeable differences now this year with Major League Baseball basically taking over than, than it was like before, I guess, in 2019? As of right now, I haven't noticed anything truly different. Uh, I think the protocols come directly from MLB. So in that sense, it's easier to get somebody on the phone if you needed to and do that type of deal. Um that's probably the front office, I'm sure, has had their share of differences, just trying to deal with, you know, logistical type things, working through the red tape, MLB having a say in everything now. But from my day-to-day perspective, it really hasn't changed too much. Great stuff, Luke. Thanks so much for jumping on the podcast with us. Of course. Thank you guys so much for having me. Really good stuff from Luke Hallett, broadcaster, play-by-play, Winston-Salem Dash. Check him out on MILB TV if you have it. What a deal, by the way, James. That subscription, 40 bucks for the year gives you every single level of minor league baseball and i think the team really that we're focused on more than the rest and we don't want to be biased here but we can't help it with all the talent especially the young talents canapolis cannonballers we spoke a lot there about the dash let's go to the low a side of things here in the affiliate canapolis rough a rough start okay we'll just put it put it at that but we're looking at the individual performances here and it's really encouraging to see a lot of the young names in full season Canapolis this year. DJ Gladney, somebody that, you know, obviously that we're excited about, and a number of others, as well as Andrew Dolphins, Matthew Thompson, both were taking uh, the bump across the first six games of their season. Let's get your thoughts, first of all, on the Cannonballers before we move on to some of the other affiliates across the first week of the season. Anything that stood out to you in Canapolis? Yeah, so I think, I mean, so far, I think Jose Rodriguez, right, is he's been tremendous. And I think, like, look, I, I don't, I don't know if it was unexpected that he would hit this well. I mean, he's got to continue doing it. Obviously, I mean, the knock on Jose Rodriguez has been just that he has this like super aggressive approach at the plate, and that eventually that'll get the best of him. But I mean, he hit in the DSL, he hit in the Arizona League, and now he's hitting in Low A. So I mean, if he continues hitting. Um, he's probably like a top 15 ish prospect in the system. And like really soon, cause you know, he can play short. He's probably better at second, but I mean, a middle infielder that hits like that. I mean, I think he has like three hits a game. So I would say him. And then there, I just feel like it's a different guy every game for that team. And it's all those young guys that, you know, me and Dan talked about last week. I think it's 10 of our top 30 are in canny. So, you know, Brian Ramos is, my favorite of the bunch, you mentioned Gladney, but I mean, yeah, it's been uh, been super interesting, at least offensively for that team. And I think, look, like they got a ton of pitchers. 
the high school guys have only gone like an inning or two, and then you're bringing in, you know, like some some late college draft picks and stuff come in in relief. And obviously, when you use that many relievers in a game, somebody's bound to not have their best stuff that day. And I just think this is probably par for the course and what we're going to see going forward. Yeah, let's stick to the offense. I'm with you. I mean, Jose Rodriguez has been very exciting. Brian Ramos looks like a total athlete. But how about Benjamin Bailey? He's sitting at 6'4", 215. And he's 19 years old, playing in his first season stateside now. And he fills up a lot of the box, the right-handed batter's box. Was there a comp that you brought up? I don't know what he can translate into, but your comp that you mentioned was rather interesting, I thought. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I think Marco Patti called him Carlos Lee, um, which is interesting because I do think he's probably going to end up being left field only. I don't know if it's a right fielder's arm, and he's huge, like you said. So, yeah. like, he's got BP power. He didn't hit for a ton of power in the DSL, but he walked, like, I think he was on base, like, at like a 460 clip just because the pitching is so terrible down there. So that'll be, I, I guess that'll be the thing for me is like, you know, how does the walk rate look in low A now that he's facing better pitching? Cause look, I mean, he played in Panama right, and then the DSL and now he's playing in low A, which is, you know, like it's a pretty aggressive assignment. I mean, he never even played in rookie ball and mind you, he's facing other players that also, you know, it's an aggressive assignment for them too, right? So he's facing guys that would be in rookie ball too. But yeah, it, it should be like a pretty steep curve for him. But, you know, it's good that he's only 19 and he's in that league and he can repeat if he needs to. But yeah, he's he's in a group of like four or five outfielders where at minimum, like mm -hmm. we're checking the box score every day to see how all these guys did. Yeah, I think we have to maintain realistic expectations for this player. Like we said, 19 years old, going from Panama to the DSL, now stateside full season in his first year playing professional baseball in America. Kannapolis, I mean, it's it's nothing to scoff at. Low A at this point, like we, we talked about a little bit with Luke, is you lose short season rookie ball and you know the extended spring isn't necessarily taken advantage of as much because you want to get these guys at bats right away at appropriate levels and Bailey at 19 years old I mean he did homer but there are some some holes in his swing that are going to get exposed but it's somebody that there's there's a lot of optimism attached to this player so we're we're excited about him yeah there the other guy I was kind of surprised that they sent James Beard to Kannapolis now look I mean there, there is no rookie ball right until July or late July so maybe they just thought you know, whatever, like get him there, see how he looks. He's got really good bat speed. Like he's got 80 grade, like run speed, but he's not just like this Terrence Gore, like Billy Hamilton type where he can't hit at all. I mean, he played pretty low level Mississippi high school ball, but he's got, you know, really quick hands and really good bat speed. And he hit a grand slam, I think the first or second game of the year. So, you know, he's another interesting guy to follow because if he can hit for power, I mean, it's 80 grade speed and you know, really good defense in center. I mean, he's another, you know, potential dude if he can, right. if he can hit like at all. So, you know, cause the carrying tool is the speed. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes for him, but I was, you know, I'm glad to see that he's down there. Yes. I'm with you because it's aggressive, but I think it's, it's something that the White Sox want to evaluate and, and see, put them to the test. I think they're skilled enough where the White Sox believe they can handle this level of competition where 
really focusing on Kannapolis here because we were chomping at the bit, seeing a lot of the young players finally get into action here as we've been covering this group for a season plus, a year plus without baseball. So it's really, really fun to talk about these players actually putting in some effort on the field. Chase Krogman, a special shout-out to Krogman. I mean, he's on the injured list now, but he came out swinging pretty well across the first week in Kannapolis. We already mentioned a lot of the uh, impressive names uh, prior in terms of position players. I want to switch real quick to a few pitchers that I'd like to bring up, and then maybe we can move on to Birmingham uh, and Charlotte. Some of the pitchers real quick. Matthew Thompson and Andrew Dawkins, of course, are the highlights that we're keeping an eye on. But Bailey Horn is somebody, too, that, you know, a guy at Auburn, a little more advanced in terms of experience at the college level, playing in low way Kannapolis. At 23 years old, it seems like this is a really, really good starting spot for Bailey Horn. And I believe he may be somebody that we're looking at saying, okay, maybe midpoint of the season, things are going well for him. He can move up to Birmingham. What say you, James? Yeah, I think I don't think he's going to have much trouble with Kannapolis, honestly. And I think, you know, I just think everybody's so limited innings-wise. I think yeah. Bailey Horn's the type of guy who I think over the course of a season will grow on people, right? Because he's just like one of those lefties without, you know, it's not premium stuff, but it's good stuff. Um, yeah, and he's going to eat innings and he's not going to eat many if like it's three innings a start as it, you know, as it's been. But yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it. You know, he's only in, so like he'll definitely go to Winston, I would think. But I mean, as a college guy in the fifth round, I mean, there's really nothing holding him back from, you know, potentially starting like next season in Birmingham. But I agree with you. Like he he's kind of a quick mover. He's not he's really not that similar to the prep arms. Um, they could have sent Bailey Horn right to Winston and I would have had no issue with it. But, you know, he's obviously in Kannapolis and I think he'll you know, he'll, he'll, he won't be down there long. Really exciting players, uh, obviously in Kannapolis. Let's switch gears a little bit to the Birmingham and Charlotte rosters. And just a couple quick points, cause we don't want to run on forever here, but let's start in Birmingham. A couple of assignments that not necessarily caught me off guard, but I thought it was a little interesting is Cade McClure beginning in Birmingham, double a, and one that we sort of expected maker Adolfo, somebody who's obviously advanced in his time with the white Sox. Uh, and being a prospect, Micah hit a home run. That was really good to see. We want to see the bat-to-ball skill translate this year, James. And those are just two players that I brought up uh, that I'm like a little curious about following here in the early going with a number of interesting names. But Kay McClure and Micah Adolfo really stand out to me. Yeah, I think those are two of the biggest names, obviously. Um, I think people, I think, you know, I'm waiting for Yoelki Cespedes to get there because that is the level where he's going. That's where he's reporting to. Um, there are some supposed like visa issues or something where he'll, you know, so he'll be in that outfield with Mike or Adolfo. You know, I think Adolfo is there primarily just because, you know, there's other outfielders in Charlotte and the White Sox have always kind of used that as a place where they put some of these like veteran type guys, you know, and those guys need to stay sharp and stay playing. So, you know, Adolfo is in double A instead. So, but yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's a guy that's, you know, he, Adolfo's got to produce because he's out of options next year. So, I mean, this might end up being his last year in the organization and that's not a great place to hit, but you know, he's been there before. So yeah, he's, he's definitely the most interesting guy to follow. I thought they might start McClure in AAA, but he's, he's in Birmingham too. And then there are some, you know, there are some names in that bullpen too, that could show up in the big leagues at some point too. But 
it's just still it's not the double a southern league anymore but it's still a right. really, still a really tough place to play yeah and it's the first week of the season after a long layoff and what's interesting is following it, just the the fatigue factor once once they really do get in the swing of things especially the pitching staff there's a lot of stress on these guys that haven't pitched you know they were responsible for keeping their bodies in shape on their own if they weren't you know, invited to the alternate site in Schaumburg last year and even at the beginning of the season. So, you know, something to keep in mind, and that can extend to the Charlotte roster as well. And a few names that were, you know, obviously eyeing is a Zach Birdie, someone who was in the big leagues already in the past, and Jimmy Lambert. Jimmy Lambert is, is making a comeback as a starter. Not necessarily a surprise that he's coming back from a starter. It's just very important to monitor him and his progression following uh, major surgery and then another injury that dampened his season last year. Um, so those are two names right off the bat that you can keep an eye on in Charlotte. And, and I'm sure those who have been following the AAA and, and Major League White Sox understand those are big names. The Charlotte roster is filled, James, with a lot of former major leaguers, uh, You know, the fringe guys, the 4A type position players, while also having some fill-in starters if necessary on this roster. So outside of those, is there anybody that stands out to you? So the most interesting storyline was Gavin Sheets, I think, just because he was slated to start at first base and then the Luis Robert thing happened. And, you know, he obviously can't play center field, but he started, I believe, every game in right field, which is a little bit interesting, right? I mean, I think they're trying to make him a little bit more versatile. Um, Some scouts have said that he's, playable in a corner and if that's the case like he's got a big league future and probably pretty soon I would think because he's he's been pretty good there the only thing that was holding him back is if he was first base only like you know cracking the lineup on this team was going to be a little bit tough so you know if you made me bet like I would say we see Gavin Sheets this year at some point now in the majors whether that's with the White Sox or with somebody else obviously Jake Berger's a great story hit his first homer yesterday he just needs to play me and Dan talked about it last week. There was a lot of consternation, I feel like, about like, oh, how is Jake Berger all the way at Charlotte? Like they skipped him all these levels. I just, you know, I just, I think it's time. And I think sending guys to Birmingham is terrible. So I think, I think this assignment will work out. Um, he's playing third. He looks healthy. So, you know, Jake Berger, great story. Those two guys always get lumped together. And I just did the same. Sure. Yeah. And Berger, you know, he spent time last year playing in live games, albeit at like an amateur level, but it was still competitive baseball, getting the juices flowing, seeing live pitching in a year that saw minor league baseball canceled. So yeah, I'm with you. I think the Gavin Sheet story is fantastic. And he is on our radar in terms of who can be an immediate contributor to the Chicago White Sox. And if they do need a boost in the outfield or a left-handed bat. He could provide that for the White Sox after, you know, given time, because I think the White Sox are totally willing with uh, running with a lot of the, the veterans that they have in their roster at this point. But if Gavin Sheets continues to make noise, get a very good first week of the season, that's got to be a guy that's like first up to come up to the White Sox and contribute if they need a bat uh, or an outfield spot. So anything that I missed that you'd like to mention before we wrap things up? So, you know, Blake Rutherford and Luis Gonzalez are their two. Gonzalez is on the injured list. But, I mean, this is a real – this is a shot for Rutherford, man, because he – you know, he's had his struggles too. But, you know, it's finally like an advantageous ballpark for him to hit in. And a lot of the other AAA parks, and you know, are, are nice to hit in too. So, you know, we'll see um, if he can take advantage of this opportunity. And then I guess the last guy – 
that's a it was a a little curious that mm-hmm. Jonathan Stever was there, but I mean, look, it was always a little bit weird that he pitched really well in high A, and then we had the shutdown last year, and then the White Sox a little bit prematurely added him to the forty man and started him a few times. Um, and he's like skipped over Double A Birmingham altogether, and he's in Charlotte too. So I mean, obviously they look at him as like if Kopech is their sixth starter, maybe Stevers their seventh starter right now, like ahead of Ronaldo Lopez. So, but I think he's in that same boat with Jimmy Lambert, where you know those are guys on the forty man roster. So they're you know we're probably going to see them in the big leagues again at some point, um, helping a team that's trying to win the AL Central and potentially win the American League pennant. You mentioned Blake Rutherford. I'm a fan. I, I bought into what he is able to offer in terms of uh, at the plate and as an outfielder. I mean, he, he plays good defense and he put on size and he's able to, it's not enough. Like He did Homer across his first 21 at bats in Charlotte, but you know, the, the power isn't necessarily what I'm looking at. It's the strength that allows him to spray the ball in all fields and handle major league pitching. I think his bat to ball skills is, is good. Uh, as long as it translates, of course, and then I'm wrong if it doesn't. So I'm just looking looking at Blake Rutherford at this point being a, a quiet option to sort of emerge at some point because I think, yeah, now's the time for Rutherford to prove it. Uh, same with Mike Rodolfo, and you're rooting for these guys because we've been following them for years, and the White Sox put a lot of investment in these players. All right, James, really good conversation. Appreciate you taking the time. Uh, we're going to stay on it. There's a lot of coverage coming up here at Future Sox. We're really proud to have correspondence at every affiliate this year and then once Arizona starts up we'll have our guy Sean Williams out there as well so uh, this year is going to be fun James really good to have minor league baseball back oh it's so good to talk about it after not having it last year and scrambling in the manner in which we did so very excited looking forward to it thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Future Sox podcast we will talk to you all soon for Luke Hallett play-by-play broadcaster of the Winston-Salem Dash James Fox our senior editor and myself Mike Rankin We will talk to you all next time.